Blessed are you, Adonai our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and commanded us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Please, Adonai our God, sweeten the words of your Torah in our mouth and the mouth of your people, the house of Israel. May we and our offspring and the offspring of your people, the house of Israel, all of us, know your name and study your Torah for its own sake. Blessed are you, Adonai, who teaches Torah to his people Israel. It says, and it was when Isaac had finished blessing Yaakov, and Yaakov had scarcely left from the presence of his father, his father Isaac, that Esau, his brother, came back from his hunt. He too made delicacies and brought them to his father. He said to his father, let my father rise and eat of his son's game so that your soul may bless me. And it says here, his father said to him, who are you? And he said, I am your firstborn son, Esau. Then Isaac trembled with great perplexity and said, who, where, who is the one who hunted game and brought it to me? And I partook of all when you had not yet come, and I blessed him. Indeed, he shall remain blessed. When Esau heard his father's words, he cried out in an exceedingly great cry and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me too, father. But he said, Your brother came with cleverness and took your blessing. He said, It is because his name is called Yaakov that he outwitted me these two times. He, now, Esau is a millennial. We know that because of what he says next. Okay? He took away my birthright, and see, now he took away my blessing. Because he's a millennial, because he doesn't have any personal responsibility in the matter. He forgot that he sold it, right? Then he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, behold, O Lord, have I made him over you, and all his kin have I given him as servants with grain and wine have I supported him? And for you, where? What can I do, my son? And Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing? Father, bless me too, father. And Esau raised his voice and wept. So Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, of the fatness of the earth shall be your dwelling and of the dew of the heavens above. Now notice that the blessing came from Isaac after Esau wept. It's a very uh, insignificant thing that happened here. Verse 40 says, By your sword shall you live, but your brother who you serve shall yet shall be that when you are aggrieved you may cast off his yoke from upon your neck. Now Esau harbored hatred towards Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau thought, May the days of mourning for my father draw near, then I will kill my brother Jacob. When Rebekah was told of the words of her older son Esau, she, she sent and summoned Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau is consoling himself regarding you to kill you. So now, my son, heed my voice and arise. Flee to my brother Laban to Haran, and remain with him a short while while your brother's wrath subsides, until your brother's anger against you subsides and he forgets what, you, what you've done to him, then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereaved of both you on the same day? 
Now Rebekah said to Isaac, I am disgusted with my life on account of the daughters of Heath. If Jacob takes a wife of the daughters of Heath like these, of the daughters of the land, what is life to me? The end of our reading, the end of our chapter. I want to begin by looking back at a, a kind of a couple of verses leading into this, and I want to begin looking uh, at Midrash Rabbah Breshit, looking at this discussion of right before what we just read takes place, chapter 27 and verse 26. It says, Isaac did not recognize Jacob. Isaac did not recognize Jacob. This is from Midrash Rabbah 65, Simon 22. It says, the verse suggests that when evildoers arose from Jacob, Isaac did not recognize Jacob. It says, then his father Isaac said to him, come close if you please and kiss me, my son. Then Jacob's father said to him, come close if you please. With these words, Isaac said to Jacob, you will be connected to me in burial, and no one else will be connected to me in burial. Verse 27 says, so he drew close and kissed him. He smelled the fragrance of his garments and blessed him and said, see, the fragrance of my son is like the fragrance of a field which Adonai has blessed. So it says, Rabbi Yochanan said, there is nothing whose stench is as foul smelling as this hair of goats. And yet you, that is our verse, say he smelled the fragrance of his garments and blessed him. Boy, that's true. If you've ever been around goats or sheep, they are pungent. Uh, I've, I've been in a situation where we wore uh, wool uniforms, 100% wool uniforms. And they get a little damp because of the rain. And then, of course, you know, you've been wearing the uniform, so you've been, uh, how shall we say, seasoning it. And then when it's well seasoned, then it gets a little damp, and ain't nobody want to be around you. It's because you smell bad. <laughs> so how is it that it smells fragrant and wonderful? But it says, but the explanation is that when Jacob, our patriarch, entered his father's presence, the fragrance of God Adin entered with him. Thus Isaac said to Jacob, see, the fragrance of my son is like the fragrance of a field which Adonai has blessed. And this is a reference. The fragrance of a field is the, the, a reference to the Garden of Eden because it was understood that the Garden of Eden was like a, a, a field of sacred apples. And it had like a, a sacred apple fragrance. And, and so it says, But when Esau entered his father's presence, Gehenna entered with him. As it is written, when a willful sinner comes, shame comes. Proverbs 11.2. Now, I mentioned this last week, but it's interesting that how is it that Isaac knows what Ganadin smells like? He wasn't there necessarily, or was he? The answer that is given in the, in, the, in the commentaries is that when Isaac laid down on the altar to give his life to Hashem, to become, as I said in the Aliyah this week, the ultimate sacrifice. And when he did that, that the, the fragrance of Ghana Din enveloped him. But why did it envelop him? Why did it do that there? And the answer is, is because where Isaac laid down his life was Ghana Din. But that's not even, that's only part of it. The altar that was built 
that would later become the altar of God in the temple was the exact spot at which God created man to begin with. So that at the point of creation, at Ganadin, this is where Isaac laid down his life, and that's where he experienced the fragrance of Ganadin, and that fragrance never left him. He never forgot what that smelled like, as I'm sure none of us would. Something else happened here, which is very interesting, is that Isaac, when, when he smelled Ganadin, there's a whole a midrash uh, insight that's brought down here, that a blessing is intended to help someone overcome their evil nature, their yetzerhara. To ble- uh, that's the, the purpose of a blessing. To bless someone is to help them overcome. So the question is, is why does he go ahead and bless Jacob? Why does heaven allow this to happen? Because Jacob has a pure nature. He wants to study Torah all the time. That's his natural bending. He's a natural bending towards righteousness. And the answer is given that basically Isaac smells the scent of teshuva on Jacob for his future generations. Now, this is important because we learned that here, 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 by the way, we have Isaac and everything is, that Isaac is doing, if you, if you notice, everything is by, the, is by the sense of smell. He's smelling. He smells the fragrance of a field that God has blessed. That's a euphemism for Ganadin. And because of what he smells, he delivers the blessing. Now, this is significant because Isaac, remember, is the Yakidah. He's the image of the Father laid down on the altar for the forgiveness of our sins. In other words, he is the type and the shadow of the Messiah, Yeshua. And the sages teach that when Yeshua shows up, when the Messiah comes, that he's going to judge us by our sense of smell, by our fragrance. Whether or not we're going to get the blessing, so to speak, is going to depend on what we smell like. Because we can, anybody can mask the way they look, they can mask a lot of different things, but you just can't mask smell. You can put a whole lot of cologne on something and a whole lot of powder, but it ain't going to work. If you want to get rid of a bad odor, you've got to get, to get rid of the cause of the bad odor, right? So the scent of teshuva. Now, this is an insight. This is a continuation, that is, of the Midrash Rabban. It says this. Another interpretation, he smelled the fragrance of Begadov and blessed him. This refers to people like Yosef Mishisha and Yakum Ish Zeros. So it goes on to tell the story of Yosef Mishisa. It says, At the time that the enemies of Israel desired to enter the temple mount to look and destroy the temple, they said to one of them, that is a Jewish person, Enter and through one of them let the temple's desecration begin. So in other words, they found a Jew who was a traitor. They found a Jew who was not... Uh, a righteous person, someone who didn't care about the Torah, the Torah, didn't care about the temple, didn't care about the things of God. The Romans said, hey, we want to destroy the, the temple, and the best way to do that is to find a Jew who will desecrate the temple because there's no better way to, to slap God in the proverbial face, Hasve Shalom, than to take one of his own subjects to do it. 
So they found a man who was willing. His name was Yosef Meshisa. So Yosef Meshisa entered and, threw and, 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 and went up to the temple. And they said to him, take whatever out. Whatever you take out is yours to keep. So it says he entered the temple and took out the golden menorah. And they said to him, is it not the way of a, of a commoner to use such a vessel? Rather go up a second time and whatever you take out is yours to keep. But he did not accept it upon himself. So this is interesting because Joseph goes into the temple and he's, he's, he walks in there and he realizes whatever he gets out, the Romans are going to let him keep. So he takes out the golden menorah, which is a beautiful menorah. It's made out of solid gold. It's very valuable. And it represents the light of the world. It represents everything holy. And so he's going to take this menorah home and he's going to use it in his own, for his own purposes. And the Romans mock him and say, don't you know that... Uh, all commoners have lamps. Go take something, go in there and take something else and take it, take it for yourself. And Joseph realizes what he's done at this moment that he's gone in there and he's taken something so holy and brought it to a place of just like a commoner. And so he refused to go the second time. Rabbi Pincus said they offered to give him the right to collect taxes for three years if he'd go back in. But he did not accept it upon himself. He said, it is not enough for me that I angered my God once. Shall I anger him a second time? What do they do to him for his refusal? They placed him on a carpenter's bench. And they, and they started to saw on his body. And he was crying out and saying, woe, oh woe, that I angered my creator. Before I continue and read about this, because it's a very, very interesting point, I want to read first Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is a psalm written by King David. And it's written by King David after he was confronted by the prophet Nathan about his, his twofold sin that he did. This is referring to the sin with Bathsheba, of committing adultery because he took another man's wife and had a relationship with her. That's adultery. And then because he later had uh, her husband murdered or killed in battle. And Nathan confronts him with it and he Im immediately makes teshuva. And, of course, we know King David... King David, uh, God promised King David that his throne would never end, that the Mashiach would come from King David. And then later we find out that the next king, King Solomon, would actually come from Bathsheba and King David. And then King Solomon would build a temple. And it's remarkable because you hear you have a man who's committed adultery and committed murder, which are, he's committed two out of the three uh, cardinal sins. Two out of the three cardinal sins, under human conditions and under the human mind, this would eliminate David from any further consideration. I mean, after all, why did, not, why did he not uh, have his kingdom ripped from him like 
like Saul did. Saul didn't commit murder. Saul did not commit adultery. Saul they, was rebellious to the word of God. And, and someone say, well, you know, rebellion is likened to witchcraft. Okay, that's fine. But still, it's not one of the top three. You realize that? You realize that Saul did not commit adultery, did not commit murder, did not commit adultery? He dabbled in sorcery. That's forbidden by Torah, but it's not one of the top three. David committed two of the top three. And yet it was Saul who had the kingdom ripped from him. Why? Because Saul refused to make tshuva. Because when Saul was confronted... He gave a bunch of excuses. You know, uh, that's one thing that um, um, one of those many, many, many stories that I take away and thoughts and and concepts that when I was going through uh, basic training and the service and all that kind of stuff, um, it was a big deal that if you got in trouble, you got in trouble. You did something wrong, you did something wrong. And when you were being berated for it, and yelled at, and screamed at, and made to do all kinds of physical torment to pay for it. When they were asking you, you know, you know what you did wrong, and you realize this, you, what, what were you thinking, what did you do? Why did you do that? What's wrong with you? What's your malfunction? And uh, if you started to, we learned this early on, like day, like the first morning. If you started to make a bunch of excuses, well, sir, this recruit was thinking this. Oh, then it was like the, the what are those, those new things, the murder hornets? The murder hornets, I ain't scared of murder hornets. Those are called drill instructors. <laughs> I am not scared of some murder hornets. I've been around all of them. The murder hornets came out, and they would just tear you to pieces. But... If, you, if they said, what were you thinking? What's your malfunction? If you said, this recruit doesn't know, sir. No excuse, sir. They were like, very well, correct yourself. And that was it. But as long as you make excuses, is you just, no, done. I figured that out quick. No excuse, sir, became my mantra. I use it at home all the time. Rabbit seemed to be yelling at me. I said, no excuse, ma'am. <laughs> and then she looks at me and says, very well. Fix yourself. Get it done. Correct yourself. Move, move, move. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six. <laughs> and I start doing something, and she's like, stop. That's not how I told you to do it. <laughs> it goes down just like that. So David knew how to say, Hashem, I don't have any excuses. That's what made a difference. So Psalm 51 says, For the conductor of Psalm by David, when Nathan the prophet came to him when he came to Bathsheba, he says, Show me favor, O God, according to your kindness. According to your vast compassion, erase my transgressions. You realize that Hashem erases transgressions. Abundantly cleanse me of my iniquity and from my sin purify me. For I recognize my transgression and my sin 
is always before me. Against you alone did I sin, and that which is evil in your eyes did I do. Therefore you are justified when you speak and faultless when you judge. Behold, in iniquity was I fashioned, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, the truth which you desire is in the concealed parts, and in the covered parts is the wisdom which you teach me. Purge me of my sin with hyssop, and I shall be pure. Cleanse me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness. May the bones which you crush exalt. Hide your face from my sins, and erase all my iniquities. A pure heart create for me, O God, and a steadfast spirit renew me. Cast me not away from your presence, and your Holy Spirit take not from me. Restore to me the joy of your Yeshua, and with your generous spirit sustain me. Now this next verse is what I really wanted to highlight. Verse 15. I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall repent unto you. Because the insight we're about to read is, is I've just titled it, The Blessing or being grateful, I should say, for sin and failure. Because you really can't teach transgressors God's ways if you've never transgressed. See, that's the thing. Everybody wants to walk on water. Everybody wants to be 100% pure. Nobody wants a testimony. Everybody wants to be a perfect. Everybody wants to have grown up in a Jewish home. Ah, uh, uh, always wore black and white. Speak Hebrew fluently. Never know what it was to eat something that was not lehamadrin kosher. Right? Everybody wants that. But the problem is, the reason there's no love in those communities, now hear me. When you go to those communities, because we, we look at them and we, 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 everybody's so admired, beards hanging down to their knees, slapping their knees when they walk. <laughs> long, long seat seat. Like Mikal says, they, they do jump rope over their, over their peyote. Big, beautiful hats, the big furry ones. And a perfect, they daven all the time. And they, I mean, it's, it's halakhic to the max. They got Shabbat toilet paper. Oh, believe that. I mean, it's holy, holy, holy. And you go to those neighborhoods, and you walk around them all day, and, and you rushalayim, and you can't get a smile from nobody. Ain't nobody happy there. Ain't nobody love anybody there. serious parking my car I wasn't sure if I was parked I read Hebrew but you know I'm not perfect I wasn't sure if I think I might have been parking in a place I was supposed to park I was residence only I get out of the car I'm looking around trying to figure it out I see this lady walking down the street I'm in a mirror and I get the Shomer Nagia and all this kind of stuff lady walking down the street she's married she's got her hair covered and I said, Slika Kiberet. And she just looked at me, she's like, now I'm dressed like this. So I ain't playing. It's not like I'm dressed like some kind of, like I'm going to the beach, you know. She gave me like, like how dare you talk to me? Shomer, hello. 
And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. I'm just trying to ask you if I can park here. Ain't, that's not love. That's not Shomer even. You know what that is? That's just arrogance. That's just don't talk to me. I don't want you to rate me with your question. What? I'm just, I just want to say, ma'am, can I park here? I'll tell you what, I won't even look at you while I ask you. Can I park here? <laughs> Stupid. Stupid, people. But you know why? Because you've never been a transgressor, you don't know how to have compassion. Right? So don't ever, don't ever lament the fact that you didn't grow up in a Jewish home. By the way, 90% of people who say that didn't either. Believe that. Take that to the bank. 90% of the people that say that didn't grow up in a Jewish home. Their, their last name is Schultzberg or whatever, or, you know, whatever, and, and they're using that to sell books. But their home was no more Jewish than yours. Believe that. Trust me. Okay. Um, but don't, don't ever fault. See, I'm glad I didn't grow up uh, in a Jewish home. I'm glad I didn't grow up in a in an uh, observant home. I'm glad I didn't grow up wearing a, a big $2,000 mink hat to, to the table on Shabbat. Because I know what it's, I know what it's like. Now, I'm, I appreciate that upbringing. And see, David knows what it's like to sin. So here's the king. There's no greater compassion a king can have than to have fallen so far. To the extent that he can say, I will now teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall repent unto you. There's nobody that he could be talking to that would say, oh, they, oh righteous king, may the king live forever. You just have no idea how much I've sinned. Really? You ever murder anybody, commit adultery, just saying. See, this is why Yeshua had to come and be amongst us because he had to be able to have compassion. He had to, kind of, he had to be able to know what it was like to suffer the, um, the, the, the feeling of the Yetzirah so he could truly have compassion on us and truly know what it's like to be us. So it says here in the insights, the masters of Musar teach that a man does not achieve greatness in spite of his failures, but rather because of them. Rabbi Haim Schlutzwitz explains why this is so. He asserts that the primary hindrance to spiritual growth is a person's comfort with his level of service to God. A person who has acted a certain way for some time finds it difficult to appreciate the value of improving. Furthermore, it becomes increasingly difficult for him to feel enthusiastic about those mitzvot he does by rote. A person may thus drift along for years and decades without the desire to improve. However, a man's abrupt descent to a new depth of sin may su succeed in shaking him from his inertia. At that moment, has, as he surveys the deplorable state to which his pursuit of earthly pressure has brought, brought him, he may find the will to climb out of his morass. The fall itself may provide the impetus, the, the impetus, impetus for rejuvenation. See, we talk a lot about God's grace and God's mercy and God's kindness. 
and we talk a lot and a great many things, whether Miguel's talking about uh, being healed of sickness or we talk about God's grace and forgiving us for our sins or God's mercy and overlooking our faults, but we don't really think about how deep God's grace actually is to the extent that he allows us to sin so that he can bring us to a new level. You never thought about it like that, have you? I haven't. I haven't thought about the fact that God's allowing us to sin in our life is actually an act of grace. Now, don't get me wrong. This doesn't mean that we're supposed to go out and just live it up. Don't get me wrong, okay? But I'm saying is, is that when those times come, and they come to all of us, it's actually God's grace to allow us to experience that to, A, bring us to a new level, and B, give us the power like King David to actually show transgressors his ways. There's lots of things I've done in my life that are wrong, and there's things that you've done in your life that are wrong that are different than mine. But... What I've done allows me to identify with certain people and help them to achieve. And, and then you might be doing something or have done something, I should say, that is able to relate to somebody else and help them achieve. Rabbi Himes says, when, when Yosef uh, Mishisha, Mishisa was told by the blasphemers that he failed to recognize the value of the sake of Menorah, he experienced a moment of excruciating clarity. And he made a firm decision that he would improve. At that instant, Yosef Mishisa exemplified the words of the sages from Yalkut Shimoni, where it says, Were it not that I fell, I would not have risen. And were it not that I sat in darkness, and Shim would not have been a light unto me. From the depths of sin, Yosef succeeded in ascending to the heights of self-sacrifice. From the depths of sin, this man was able to move up to a level of self-sacrifice. All of that from, from Isaac smelling a fragrance on Jacob. That he gave, he gave Jacob the blessing because... He knew that Jacob was a righteous person, but he also foresaw through, that, through that, that momentary fragrance, what the sages are bringing down here, he saw through that momentary fragrance that you and I, who are in the lineage of Jacob as the people of God, are going to, we're going to need this blessing to help us to rise above our own faults and failures. This is what is being taught here. It's interesting. There's an interesting insight here <coughs> where it says the Hebrew word for beged or garment comes from the root bagad, meaning to rebel. Isn't that interesting? You know, every time we put on clothes, we don't really need clothes. If, if, if Adam had not uh, fallen, we wouldn't need clothes. Now, it doesn't mean that we're, we walk around like a nudist colony, okay, like, like many people believe. Adam and Eve were clothed, but they were clothed in garments of light. 
our clothing that we wear now is only a pathetic replacement for the garments that God had originally given to Adam and Eve. I'm not talking the ones he made later. I'm talking about the original ones before the fall. So here's the reality. And maybe this is why our dress should be modest. Another reason why our dress should be modest. And that is because every time we get dressed, we should look in the mirror and say, man, I look good. Wow, wow, look at this thing. Uh. Like I tell my wife all the time, I said, honey, I would look good in a burlap sack. I'm working on the humility thing, and I'm, I'm, I'm nailing it. I'm knocking it out of the park. Like I say every night, this is easy, boy. Ooh, it's like chip shots. Ooh, swoosh. But the word, the word for, for clothing or garment means to rebel. So every time we get dressed, it's actually a reminder that we're in rebellion. Every time we have to put something over our bodies and clothe ourselves, it's just a reminder of the fall. Because why, otherwise we wouldn't have to get dressed. We'd wake up with a garment of light on. Just something to think about. Everything reminds us. If you think about it on that level, I mean, we all clothing is considered a basic need. It's a very basic need. So at the very basics of our existence, think about this. At the very basics of our existence, we're reminded that we need a Savior. When we sit down to eat, we eat kosher food. We eat food that God told us to eat, and we avoid food that God told us not to eat. That's a reminder of the fact that we ate the forbidden fruit. It rem- every time we sit down to eat, we're reminded, Hashem, thank you for this food, you know, and I need a Savior. Every time I get dressed, thank you, Father, for these nice clothes, and they should be garments of light. I need a Savior. I mean, just think about that. Just the basic level of every moment of every day, God reminded us, we need a Savior. He, he smelled the fragrance of his garments, and he blessed him. And this in his, it says here in Ma'am Loez, this is an illusion that even the rebels among the people of Israel have a wonderful divine fragrance when they make teshuva. This also alludes, it says, to the fact that Isaac saw through divine inspiration that even if Jacob's descendants sinned, they would eventually repent and therefore he blessed him. Now, I have two more things I want to share just really quickly. First of all, there's a whole discussion of Ma'am Loez here about because of this verse, this is where the halakha comes where we need to speak a blessing over fragrances. It comes from this. The whole blessing over fragrances, you know, we were blessing the fragrances of Havdalah, and, the, and whenever we smell something fragrant, we bless God. It comes from this, he smelled the field on him. <laughs> Isn't that great? So, but it says here, just an insight from Ma'am Loez says, when one eats a new fruit, when one eats a new fruit, he recites a blessing to Shekianu. This blessing, however, is not said when one smells a new flower or a new fragrance. The main idea of the blessing is that God has kept us alive, sustained us, 
and brought us to this season. So we're smelling a fruit, and then we're, in, and we're eating the fruit, and our body is being blessed by eating the fruit. So therefore we say Shekhiana. But a fragrance is enjoyed primarily by the soul, and since the soul is immortal, these words of the Shekhiana don't apply. Why? Because you've kept us alive, you've sustained us, and you brought us to the season, but the soul is eternal. Your soul has always been alive, and it will always be alive. So we only say the Shekianu when we're going to be doing something that's going to affect our physical body as well. Maybe this is another reason why we haven't said the Shekianu for the seventh day of Pesach, because Mashiach hasn't come yet, but that will be a spiritual deliverance. that will rescue our soul ultimately from death. There's a lot more insights I'd like to say, but I, I want to just say this one last from Ma'am Loez here. Let me turn over to where it is. Yes, in verse 38. Because we've been talking about teshuva and the power of teshuva and the grace and mercy of sin and transgression. So it says in chapter 27 and verse 38, Esau said to his father, Do you only have one blessing, my father? Bless me too, father. And Esau lifted his voice and wept. So Ma'am Loez brings down this insight and says, Three tears flowed from Esau's eyes. One flowed down his right cheek. One flowed down his left cheek. And one remained between his two eyes. If the third tear had descended, the Jews would have never escaped from under the subjugation of Esau's tears. Israel will not be redeemed until Esau's tears are wiped away. In the merit of these tears, Esau was given Mount Seir. And in fact, it says later here that Hashem, through Isaac, had already blessed Jacob with everything. Basically had given the whole world to Jacob. All the nations to Jacob. There wasn't anything left for Esau. That's why his father said, uh, I've given every, the whole bag I gave to your brother. There's really literally nothing left. And then Esau cried. Now, what I'm saying here is this is the power of tears. Because God even had mercy on Esau when he wept and said, isn't there anything you can give me? And because of those tears, God blessed Esau. Because the sages say that the gates of Juva are closed except through tears. And so this, so what happened was at that moment, this is when the angel came down and put the stick in the mud and the ocean and the water and the dirt started to pile up and that would create the peninsula of Italy. It says here, the abundance of the earth was given to Esau, and this is the Italian peninsula brought down in Megillah 6b and, and Rashi. In the Hebrew, it's the Greek Italy. In other words, prior to the blessing that God gave, that Isaac gave Jacob, Italy didn't exist. So therefore, everything was given to Jacob. And so because of Esau's tears, God said, let the boot of Italy be, be created, and I'll give that to Esau, and he'll have Rome. 
tears, I want you to understand that the power of tears caused God to create the Italian peninsula and give it to Esau at that moment. And later he would have Rome, all because of tears. This is the power of Teshuvah. Baruch Abba, Bashem Adonai.